Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 168, The History of Ukraine, Part 1. Last time, we covered the history of five major famines that helped define Russian history and society. Today, we cover another topic that helps define Russia and its people, the country on the west side of Russia, Ukraine. Before we get going, I'd like to point out that the correct way of mentioning the country at the heart of today's podcast is not the Ukraine, which many people say, and I see it on television all the time in a newscast, but it's simply Ukraine. Now, I've made the mistake in the past and want to make sure that my listeners don't make that same error. Ukraine is as much a part of Russian history as Russia itself, but it is a people culture and history that is not entirely tied to its larger neighbor to the east, even though it seems that way. Often, when I hear someone speaking English with what I think is a Russian accent, and I ask if they are from my ancestor's homeland, quite often I'm corrected that the person is Ukrainian with a very proud voice. Now, first off, let's define what the word Ukraine means. Ukraina means on the edge or borderland. And I love how author Anna Reed, in her book, Borderland, A Journey Through the History of Ukraine, describes its history. Quote, flat, fertile, and fatally tempting to invaders. Ukraine was split between Russia and Poland from mid-17th century to the end of the 18th, between Russia and Austria through the 19th, and between Russia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Romania between the two world wars. Until the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, it had never been an independent state. She further goes on to say, quote, Being a borderland meant two things. First, Ukrainians inherited a legacy of violence. Rebellion, civil war, pogroms, famine, purges, holocaust. A friend remarked, flipping through the box of file cards I assembled, while researching this book. Hey, where's the section on peace and prosperity? Second, they were left with a tenuous, equivocal sense of national identity. Now she goes on to point out how two of the countries on her east and west look at her. To Russia, she is, and always will be Russian, as you can see with the dispute that's going on today. To the Poles, she will always be part of Poland. To many Ukrainians, they view themselves oftentimes as either part Polish or Russian. The land known as Ukraine has been inhabited by people for over 45,000 years. Neanderthal settlements were found to have existed there as well. It is thought that Ukraine was where the horse was domesticated for the first time. Early inhabitants of Ukraine during the Iron Age included the Sumerians, Scythians, and Samartians. By the time of ancient Greece, Rome, and the Byzantine Empire, settlements began to crop up like Chersonesus, Olbia, and Tyrus along the northeastern shore of the Black Sea. Throughout the coming centuries, the area was invaded and crisscrossed by peoples like the Goths, Huns, Bulgars, Pechenegs, and the Hazars, who would eventually be the main power in the region. The Hazar state was a very wealthy and powerful one, controlling key trade routes between Europe and the Middle East. The Hazars were not treated with enough respect in Ukrainian or Russian history, I think, 
as they held back an invasion from the Arab states in the 7th and 8th centuries, around the time that Charles Martel held back the Muslim advance near the banks of the Loire River in 732. It's actually only a five-year difference. This stand changed the course of history, but we celebrate Martel, but not the Hazars. Now, they ruled until the coming of a small band of Norsemen known as the Varangians. By now, you should all know the drill about what happens next. But then again, we have to go back to episode one to find out what occurred. So we'll go over the events once again in a kind of a quick fashion. So the people of Novgorod, or so the legend tells us, asked the Varangians, known as the Rus, to come to the land of the Slavs and rule over them, as there was supposedly a great deal of lawlessness throughout the land. As the Primary Chronicle puts it, and the Primary Chronicle is pretty much the only source of information that we have on this time period within Russia. Quote, there was no law among them, and tribe rose against tribe. So they went overseas to the Vikings, who were known as the Rus. The tribes of the Slavs said unto the Rus, our land is great and rich, but there is no order in it. Come, rule over us as princes. Three brothers were selected, and the oldest, Rurik of Rus, located himself in Novgorod. From him, the Russian land Rus received its name. So the band of Vikings led by Rurik came to these lands and began their rule. But Novgorod was not the final resting point of the Varangians. It was to become a thin patch of perfect land in what is now the capital of Ukraine, Kiev. By the 10th and 11th century, this now thriving city at the center of trade routes between the north and Constantinople was to become the largest and most powerful state in all Europe, second only to the Byzantine Empire. After Rurik, we have Oleg, who conquers the area surrounding Kiev in 882 and begins its build-up. Over the years, it was followed by the rule of Igor, then his wife Olga takes over with his sudden demise, followed by Sviatoslav, who pushed his control towards the east. The land now known as Ukraine was fully under control of Sviatoslav, with it expanding into lands now in Russia, all the way to Suzdal in the east, Belozero in the north, and up against the lands of Estonia, Lithuania, Prussia, and Poland in the west. Now that is, of course, until he died and his children began a civil war between each other to see who would control the kingdom. The end of the war would see Sviatoslav's son, Vladimir, come out on top. Vladimir the Great, or as the Russian Orthodox Church would call him Saint Vladimir, was to have a profound effect on both Ukrainian and Russian history, as you well know. It was under his reign that the peoples inhabiting the region were converted to Orthodoxy over other religions such as Islam, Judaism, and Catholicism. Now, I'm going to do a much larger podcast on the reign of Vladimir. There's a new book that came out about his life by uh, Vladimir Volkov uh, called Vladimir the Russian Viking, and I'm going to use that as the basis. But that's going to be quite a ways down when we start going over the final review of all the Russian rulers in the next year or so. But as good as his reign and his son, Yaroslav the Wise's, was, after Yaroslav's death, internecine war was the norm of the day. Brother against brother caused a dramatic weakening of the lands surrounding Kiev, with many citizens beginning to head towards the safety of Vladimir Suzdal to the northeast. But then the final knife in the heart of Ukrainian lands 
came at the hands of a nomadic tribe from the east, the Mongols, in 1240. So great was the devastation in Ukraine, the borderland and Kiev, its ancient capital, that few people survived, and it would take centuries until Kiev became as large of a city as it was in the 1100s. The aftermath of the invasion saw the rise of the principalities of Halych, Volodymyr Volkinis, which were then folded into the state of Galicia, Volhynia. A new and powerful leader emerged in around 1250, Danielo Romanovich, otherwise known as Daniel I. He reunited the scattered people and turned it into the powerful kingdom of Galicia, Volhynia. It is after this that we see a jostling around of rule over the lands of today's Ukraine. By the 14th century, Poland began to muscle its way into the territory, as well as Lithuania, which took over an area surrounding Kiev. In 1386, we see the dynastic union of the two powerhouses of the region, which is Poland and Lithuania, via the Union of Krewo. Poles began to move into the areas depopulated by the Mongol invasion, as well as the Lithuanians coming from the north. Down south, the crumbling Tatar factions built the Crimean Khanate, which was founded by a descendant of Genghis Khan, Hasi I Girey. By 1569, most of Ukrainian territory was in the hands of the Poles, handed over by the Lithuanian faction, whose power was waning. Many of the people who lived there were Orthodox and were chafing at the bit with the pressure by the Catholic Poles to convert to their version of Christianity. Many fled to the lands controlled by a new group, the Zaporizhian Cossacks, who were devoutly Orthodox and not afraid of a good fight. On one side you had the Polish forces, and on the southern flank you had the feared Crimean Khanate. Raids by the Tatars were to strip the lands of the Ukraine and Russia of over two million people sold into slavery in Istanbul. The land of Ukraine is very fertile with better growing conditions than that of most of Russia. The problem was, it just wasn't safe to live there with all the raiding going on. For centuries, the people on the land there were under constant fear of being captured and sold as slaves or killed by raiders. You know, one thing I've been a little remiss in mentioning is that the peoples on the land at one time were known as Ruthenia and the people Ruthenian. This was to separate themselves from their more influential by now more powerful neighbors to the east, the Russians. I know this is going to be a short podcast, but I'm going to stop here and wait until the next podcast to begin to go over the time known as the Ruin, a 30-year period where war was fought on the lands of Ukraine from 1657 to 1696, between Russia, Poland, the Ottoman Empire, and Cossacks for control of the land, and then we're going to go to the history up to the present day. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Just wanted to announce that we're doing something fun and educational over on our Facebook fan site for the podcast, and that is an ongoing series of questions and polls that will test your knowledge of Russian history based on the past 180-plus episodes. Well, join us there and see if you've been paying attention to what I've been telling you over the past five and a half years. So now, as always, Das Vidanya Ispasiba Bolshoya.